Hello and welcome back to Little MB. Today I have a guest, a guest, a Mrs. Leslie Hoskins, who works for the Leader Dogs for the Blind. It's an organization that assists blind people with training with guide dogs and providing a guide dog. It's really an amazing interview and I really had a lot of fun talking with this lady and she knows her stuff. So if you're blind and wanting to know about guide dogs or even orientation and mobility training, this is the podcast to listen to. And if you can see and are just curious, once again, it's the podcast to listen to, especially if you're somebody who likes to help out organizations, because sometimes you want to help out an organization, but don't know which one to go to. You know, how much does an organization give out of your donation to the people that work there, and how much do they give to the people, and stuff like this. Every service they provide to blind people is free to that blind person. So it's a great organization to donate to. So do not hesitate to help out if you're the kind who likes helping out. Other than that, I just hope you enjoy the interview. Hello, how are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Uh, not too bad. Just so you know, we are recording already. So Okay. And so for everybody listening, this is Mrs. Leslie Hawkins, who works for the Leader Dogs for the Blind. Uh, could we start by you just telling us uh, what you are currently doing for Leader Dogs? Yeah, of course. Um, so as mentioned, my name is Leslie Hoskins. I am currently the Outreach Services and Community Engagement Manager at Leader Dogs for the Blind. Um, but I originally started at Leader Dog with my orientation and mobility degree. And so I did O&M for the, about the first six years of my career at Leader Dog. All right. And for those who don't know, orientation and mobility is teaching people how to use their canes and navigate the streets. Um, what, what interested you in O&M training? Did you know somebody that was blind, family member or friend, or what was it that inter got your interest in this? Yeah, actually, um, both sides of my family have people with macular degeneration. And so I've kind of been watching some family members lose their vision throughout their life um, and the impact that had on them. And honestly, you know, we didn't even know that orientation and mobility existed. And so when searching for careers and trying to figure out, you know, what I wanted to do with my life, I kind of stumbled across orientation and mobility and super interested and just really felt like a good fit. Yeah, that's, that's definitely interesting that it was on both sides. With mm -hmm. me, my eye disease is similar to macular degeneration. It's cone rod dystrophy, but we had no idea where it came from. But my mom had some half-brothers she didn't know about. And we met them when everybody was adults and come to find out one of her brothers has it. So okay. that's where we ended up getting it from. But... Um, now, so people, a lot of people have misconceptions, blind people do, when it comes to getting a guide dog. Can you tell us what the requirements are for your organization before you connect somebody with a guide dog? Yeah. Um, so first off, we do typically require legal blindness. Um, 
for our guide dog program. You also at least have to be 16 years or older, um, have good physical, basically stamina and decent health that you can walk a minimum of 30 minutes multiple times a day. And then really the biggest piece and sometimes the most challenging is having places to travel. So having independent routes that you can travel and then also, you know, those orientation and mobility skills. So having the routes, but then also having those problem solving skills so that if something were to happen while on route that you could problem solve and kind of get out of those situations. We never really expect perfect travelers because we understand that things happen and, you know, really the environment continues to change, but we do want to see that people are able to get out there and be independent and kind of take those challenges as they come. Yeah. And can you explain more as far as your requirements on what you expect people to be able to do on their own? Because this is one of the misconceptions that blind people have, unless you have the ability to travel, uh, navigate the streets where you live, stuff like that. Uh, they don't qualify to get a guide dog. So could you explain more about that and why? Yeah, absolutely. So we typically follow the um, International Guide Dog Federation standards. And so they have created a whole list of standards that we look at for all of our applicants. So when an application comes in and we're reviewing their file and their video and all those things, we're looking at these um, list of items. So I can go through these with you. Yeah, that'd <clears throat> and, be great. Okay, I'll try to go a little bit fast because sometimes it can be tedious. But the first one is motivation to train and work with a guide dog team in the long term. So on average, our dogs, I say, work for about eight to 10 years, sometimes a little shorter, sometimes a little longer. So really understanding that full commitment especially when we're thinking of a 16 year old, you know, life changes from 16 to 26. Oh my goodness. Things really <laughs> happen. So oh, yeah. <laughs> really keeping that in mind when you're about to make this commitment of like, okay, where am I going to be in the next five to 10 years? And is this guide dog still going to be an important role? Um, next up on the list is the leadership role. So being able to uh, achieve and maintain the leadership role in the person guide dog relationship these are guide dogs. They're not pets. So they have certain rules and standards, you know, that they have to follow. For example, one of them is not getting up on furniture, like couches and beds and things like that, because sometimes our dogs will generalize. So if they're maybe allowed on your couch at home, they might get to the doctor's office, see a couch and think, oh, why not just hop up yeah. there? So maintaining those leadership roles and recognizing why, you know, we have these rules and standards and then maintaining them. Um, next on the list is the physical ability to manage a large breed dog. Our dogs are anywhere between 45 and 85 pounds, which can be quite large. And while. Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry. I don't know what happened with that disconnection, but you were in the middle of saying dogs between 45 and 85 pounds. As Perfect. Far as big breeds. <laughs> I apologize about that. Yes, yeah, so the physical ability to manage a large breed dog. Our dogs are anywhere between 45 and 85 pounds. So physically being able to hold on to that dog, if, for example, the dog, you know, maybe this time they see that squirrel and they think, oh, it's my chance. While we know they shouldn't do that and they should avoid distractions, they are still animals. And every now and then they might have that moment. Um, so just being able to hold on to that large breed dog, having that physical ability to do so. 
Um, and then the next one on the list is something that we were kind of talking about previously, and sometimes I think where those myths come in, but functional orientation to routes and destinations that the person is going to use. So when we break that down, and what we mean is consistent orientation with no assistance. So many times people think if you get a guide dog, you know, they'll just take you where you need to go. And you can say, you know, Juno, take me to Starbucks and they'll lead you right there. Yeah, this isn't Lassie with <laughs> right. Timmy. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that it worked that way. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't. So it is up to the handler to tell the dog, you know, when to turn, when to cross the street and guide the dog basically in that sense of providing them the next steps each time. Um, so that is a really important piece, that functional orientation. With that comes that problem solving. So the ability to reorient with minimal assistance, because again, we know that the environment continues to change. Things happen out there. Um, so having the ability to kind of reassess and put in an alternate route or come up with a different plan is really important. Um, the other one that we kind of talked about previously too is that sufficient work for a guide dog to maintain its skills. So this one gets tricky too, because we require a minimum of three established routes that are regularly traveled without assistance. And our purpose in that is that we want to make sure these dogs aren't going to become pets. We want to make sure that they're going to get out there. They're going to be using their skills um, and maintain their skills. So we do ask that clients have at least three routes that they travel regularly that we know the dog's going to get that good work in. Um, and with that kind of comes that physical stamina of being able to, you know, walk a minimum of 30 minutes multiple times a day. And, you know, when I say all these two, there's always those little bit of exceptions, right? Um, you're not going to get out maybe on the days that it's 30 below and it's freezing and you wouldn't go out. Of course, you're not going to take your dog out or on the other extreme if it's super hot. So um, we understand that maybe not every day, but coming up with alternatives inside the house to keep the dog active and busy. Um, so that they don't get into other things and become distracted or bored. Well, it's no different in people. If you don't keep your skills honed, you get yeah. a little rusty, whether it's cooking or exercise or anything else. So. Exactly. Yeah. So we want to keep putting these dogs in that environment, in those situations where they have to be making those choices and guiding people around so that when the client does need them and is really, you know, depending on them, they're still always ready to go and ready for action. Um, the next couple here, I'll go through them rather quickly, of vision loss, so requiring a mobility aid. For us at leader, leader Dog specifically, that, that means meeting legal blindness standards. Um, different organizations sometimes have different um, rules or regulations on that one. And then Alrighty. independently being able to cross streets. So, you know, being able to walk up to an intersection analyzed is this stop sign controlled is it light controlled what's the shape how many lanes kind of all that and then determining the best time to cross so again that's kind of one of those myths that people assume that a guide dog can tell you when to cross um, and I wish that again that was the case but unfortunately it's not so it's always going to be up to the handler to determine the best time to cross and I don't know we talked before like before we did this, we had a discussion and you were discussing how orientation mobility training constantly changes. And so I don't know if this has changed. So if it has, correct me, but you're supposed to cross with your parallel traffic with the traffic you're walking with, not against the perpendicular traffic. 
And that's where needing to know how to cross the street really comes in handy because you don't want your dog walking you out in front of cars. Exactly. Yeah. You want to cross with that near parallel surge, typically at a lighted intersection, but maybe at a four-way stop controlled intersection, you might want to cross with an all quiet. So depending on how the intersection is controlled, it's going to determine the best time uh, to cross. And yeah, we don't want to put those dogs in those situations. You know, they're taught intelligent disobedience. So if, for example, I'm standing on a corner and I've got my guide dog and I've assessed the situation, I feel it's a good time to cross, I might say Juno forward. Well, if Juno happens to see a car that maybe I didn't hear or something happening that it's not a safe time to cross, Juno has been taught intelligent disobedience. So he's supposed to, you know, say like, no mom, basically, and stop and not go. Um, so we do encourage that and reward that behavior for those situations, but the dogs aren't meant to be put in that situation all the time. That's kind of like that little bit of a safety net to fall back on. We can't do that at every street crossing. That would put a lot of stress on the guide dog, um, and sometimes can, you know, cause early retirement or full on panic at intersections, which is not what we want. So it's important that it's definitely a team uh, approach to all things traveling with a guide dog. Oh yes, definitely. And that, that can come in very handy, especially this day and age with electric cars yes. that don't make a sound. I can yeah. remember in the nineties or early two thousands, I went and visited my brother in Texas and I I was walking on my own and I got back and he, he could tell something was wrong. It's like, dude, I can't walk around this neighborhood because he lived in an extremely nice one and everybody had fancy cars that didn't make sound. <laughs> it's like, man, this is going to kill me if I try to walk around here. So, yeah, yeah, you definitely have to be careful. And, and that's why it's a team approach. And the, the dogs are encouraged to make those decisions. And a lot of that is just their natural instincts, right? If they're told to go forward, but they see a car coming, they also don't want to get injured. They're like, no, I don't want to go in that situation. Oh, oh uh, definitely. So we just kind of encourage that. And they, throughout training and then during class as well, the guide dog mobility instructors um, practice those techniques, encourage that behavior. So, um, and then the last two on this International Guide Dog Federation standards list are a positive home environment and then financially responsible. So, you know, obviously bringing a guide dog into somebody's home, you want to make sure that everybody in the home environment is on board and supportive. Again, if we think back to those teens, that also means their school and their teachers and their classmates, that everybody is going to be, you know, supportive and respectful. Um, and then lastly, that financially responsible. While the training is free, the dog is free for Leader Dog, all of our programs, including airfare, room board, completely free, there still is that ongoing expense of maintaining vet bills and food for the dog and treats and things like that. So being able to financially support the dog for the remainder of its working life um, is important. Yeah. And for sighted people that are listening, you need to know that if you see somebody with a guide dog, you're not supposed to give it treats. You're not supposed to pet it. It's, it's working and it can cause issues with the owner if you're doing that, Absolutely. It'll, it'll encourage the dog to misbehave. So I, I bring that up because when I was in college, there was a guy that was fully blind and they had a guide dog and it was an issue he was constantly having with people wanting to pet his dog and stuff yeah. like that. So um, now in regard to all these things, as far as training and stuff like that, 
you are supposed to, when you get the dog home, you're supposed to work with the dog to keep up its skills and things of that nature. Uh, how often, how many times a day, how many days a week, that kind of thing, is somebody supposed to be working with their dog to keep their skills up? I think ideally, you know, people would be getting out at least once a day. One, because, right, like we talked about keeping that dog active and busy, it's going to avoid some other issues in the home. They're kind of like toddlers or like you even said, just any person. When you're bored, sometimes you try to find other things to get into and to keep yourself busy. And those <laughs> might not always be the best options. So yeah, <laughs> the more you can keep that dog engaged and working, the better. Um, so I would say at least once a day, ideally. But again, we know there's those situations where the weather doesn't cooperate or maybe you've twisted your ankle or who knows, things happen. But keeping the dog engaged, there's lots of activities in the home that you can do as well, um, like the different hide and seek, we call it. And then there's like puppy push-ups and obedience. You know, there's things to do. And the trainers and guide dog mobility instructors do a fantastic job of prepping everybody in class with those skills. Um, but I would say at least once a day or multiple times a week, you want to get out there and keep that dog working. And it's good for your own skills. Like you mentioned, right? If you're not cooking or if you're not using your cane skills, those are likely to, you know, uh, decrease a little bit. So staying active is always going to be the best approach. Definitely. And I can speak from experience on this and I'm not going to get into details, but when I was married, my wife didn't like to walk. And so for three, for three and a half years, we, I did Mm. And then after that was done, I was terrified when I got, I didn't think there was any big deal and just went walking somewhere. And I ended up terrified because I didn't realize how many skills I used to begin with. Mm -hmm. And I, I was rusty. And so that's something I, I had to get back. So that's definitely something to keep in mind and very important. Absolutely. And plus, like what you and I discussed before, too, you got to know yourself because me, I would not be a good guide dog owner because I am a pushover with dogs. <laughs> yeah, it's not for everybody. Uh, you definitely have to really consider and think about that, right? Like, are you going to be able to maintain the, those rules and regulations? I'm with you. I don't think I would. Um, I also, you know, I'm so com much more comfortable with the cane and I, I that's my background. And so... I feel like trusting my own skills in a cane would be better for me. But I talk to so many people who the dog's just the right choice and they're just more comfortable trusting and working with the dog. So it's, it's nice to have that option um, and to know yourself because really you're the only one that can determine that. Oh, definitely. But the last dog I had was a 130 pound lap dog. So. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's a very big dog. Yeah. Yeah. Very big lap dog. <laughs> um so what, what breeds, if any, do you guys tend to go toward when considering dogs to be an eye dog? Yeah, currently in our breeding program, we have Labradors and Golden Retrievers. Um, and then we will also cross those two breeds. So we might have a Lab Golden Cross. But those are the, the breeds that we're focusing on and that we have the most success with. So, you know, our history is very varied and there's lots of different breeds that we used to use and try. Um, but throughout the years, the most success we've had has certainly been with the Labradors and Golden Retrievers. Well, I was going to ask about that because uh, when I was real young, I met somebody that had a guide dog and it was a German Shepherd. Mm -hmm. 
We actually, up until very recently, had German Shepherds in our breeding program and have recently um, just kind of stepped back from them. I don't know what that'll mean for the future, but right now we're focusing on guy, um, Labradors and Golden Retrievers, again, because of our success rate. German Shepherds yeah. are wonderful dogs. They're beautiful. Um, but we very rarely had one that would make it kind of all the way through the program. They have some different personality traits um, and it's hard for them. They're really, you know, they, they really bond with one person and it's really hard for them for, to go from their puppy raiser and then to their trainer and then to, you know, a person. And sometimes that transition can be really hard for them. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and this is more on a personal note, but have you guys ever, worked or tried working with Rottweilers? I don't know if we have with Rottweilers. So interesting enough, back in our history, we used to go to animal shelters in the Humane Society and evaluate dogs there. So it would be a combination of mutts and all sorts of different breeds um, that we would evaluate and then actually train to be guide dogs. So uh, probably at some point in our past, maybe there was one, but I don't know that we ever used that breed specifically. Well, the reason I asked is that last dog I had, the big lap dog, uh, I got her when she was four years old and she'd been abused in that. Mm -hmm. And I'd take her for walks every morning and I typically would go around two thirty or three in the morning since I was up, there was, I live in a small town, so there was essentially no traffic. But she picked up on the fact I couldn't see. And if I started to veer off, she'd pull me back. Or if I went the other direction, mm. she'd push me back toward the center. And I, I was just flabbergasted that she picked up on it and just decided what to do with it. So, Because a lot of dogs get bad reputations because of how they're raised and then they bite somebody. And so, Of course. Yeah. That's never fair to the dog or the breed. Yeah. Um, but dogs are really intuitive. It's crazy. You know, our dogs sometimes have skills or we hear stories about things where we're like, well, they were never taught that in training, but they just kind of pick up on what their person needs and how they can help. It's, it's really a very incredible connection. Yeah. Like I said, I, I, I was just floored when she yeah. started, because at first I'm like, why are you laying into me? And then, <laughs> then I realized it's like, oh, I'm on the shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, all right. You know, so that's very cool. So what other, so you, you offer people to come out there, flight, room and board and all this kind of stuff for free. Mm -hmm. uh, you do the same for the O&M training, correct? Yeah. So we've really tried to broaden our scope of services, but I'll talk about dog training just really quickly. And then I'll talk about the O&M program too. But for our guide dog program, there's a couple of different formats in which you can receive our training. The first one being our residential or on-campus program. This is the most common program. Um, and this is when clients would come and stay on our campus for about three weeks, 21 days, and work one on, not one-on-one, -on -one, but work with a guide dog mobility instructor and then kind of have that peer support of other clients going through the same things um, and having you know those related shared experiences. So that's our most common way of people get receiving our services is coming on campus for the on-campus program. But another option is also in-home delivery. So we really recognize 21 days is a big commitment. Not everybody can give up 21 days to come and train with a guide dog. And so sometimes we'll provide in-home training for individuals who maybe have 
a work responsibility or family responsibilities or health concerns or even individuals who have just really a complex, unique travel environment where they would really benefit of learning routes and working with the dog in their environment. So we have the in-home option. And then we also have a flex program, which is kind of a combination of those. So sometimes people can come to campus for a week time or two weeks time and then get some follow-up support in their home area. So that's kind of a combination um, and dependent on people's needs and schedules. And then our last programs that we have here are our adaptive services and deafblind program. We have an incredible team of adaptive services and deafblind who work with individuals who are both deaf and blind and or hard of hearing. And then also, you know, other things that are happening like cognitive, cognitive impairments, traumatic brain injuries, um, sometimes like a left side weakness or arm weakness, an abnormal gait pattern, balance concerns, all sorts of different things. And so our adaptive services team really can take a look at that client and their uh, individual needs and determine if we can work with them and in what capacity and, you know, what else we could do to provide for them. So um, our guide dog program is definitely offered in multiple capacities and trying to really fit everybody's unique needs. All right. As far as the in-home service, how does that work? Yeah. I mean, so, do they come and stay in a hotel or? Yeah. Our guide dog mobility instructors would uh, bring a dog that they think is going to be a good match for the client. They'd come to their hometown and then they'd issue the dog, you know, to the client. And the guide dog mobility instructor would stay in a local hotel uh, for about 10 days. So it's one-on-one -on -one instruction and around 10 days of training. And that's really nice because they can work in their home environment. They can maintain, you know, if you've got small children at home or a loved one you're taking care of or work obligations, that training can be a little bit more flexible. And it, because it's one-on-one, -on -one, it can be a little bit shorter and condensed too. Well, that's, to me, that's impressive that you guys go to that length, that you'd send somebody to your, to your own hometown to work yeah. with you. Yeah, absolutely. We recognize everybody's got, you know, different needs and schedules and, uh, and just different learning formats. Some people learning in a group setting can be really distracting and overwhelming. And so sometimes that one-on-one -on -one attention is nice. Well, not to mention the anxiety of going somewhere where, you don't know anything. You don't know anybody. You don't know the community or how to get around on your own there. That can be really, it, it can cause a lot of anxiety. Yeah. So that, that can assist with that as well. So can you, uh, talk, unless there's more on that, can you talk about the O&M training? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, so our orientation and mobility program uh, we actually offer this in a couple of different formats too, but different from the guide dog program, it's only one week long. So most times clients are coming to our campus in Rochester Hills on about like a Sunday afternoon. And then we work one-on-one -on -one Monday through Friday. And then typically the client will depart on that Saturday, the following Saturday. So during that week, it's one-on-one -on -one instruction with a certified orientation and mobility specialist and focused on whatever the client's goals are. Um, so maybe they're just starting out and we're going to issue them their very first cane. We're going to start really small and talk about just folding and unfolding the cane. We're going to talk about going through doors, basic cane techniques, stairs, getting in and out of cars, those types of things, and gradually build throughout the week. Other times we have clients who are coming in who've been a cane user for 20 plus years and they've had training before, but they're looking for maybe a little bit more of a brush up option. 
Because again, as you and I talked previously, the environment continues to change. We're seeing more and more roundabouts. We're seeing a lot more accessible pedestrian signals, um, different, you know, makeshifts of environments. And then also technology is changing. Those quiet cars, there's GPS apps. There's lots of different things that are happening. So that brush up option is always a good choice. Um, especially too for our longtime guide dog users. We know you kind of get in that habit of just holding onto the harness and going. Um, and so those cane skills can get a little rusty. So we usually encourage our clients to come back, get a little refresher course so that they can feel good. Maybe if they're going into working with a new dog or thinking about retiring their dog, whatever it is. Um, and then also sometimes clients come to us because they have a goal of getting a guide dog. You know, they're thinking about exploring that option as a mobility option. So they'll come to us and we'll spend that week kind of focusing on what are some pre-guide dog skills. We'll go through that International Guide Dog Federation standards list and talk about where we need to focus and what we need to do. Um, and then sometimes, if appropriate, actually walk with a dog so that people can understand and really get that feeling of, you know, is this something I like? Is this something I don't like? So we'll have that option as well. And those – oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Finish what you were saying. So those all typically take place on campus in Rochester Hills. Um, again, completely free. But what's really exciting about our O&M program too is we actually are also starting to offer in-home O&M. So we have one certified orientation mobility specialist who's traveling around the United States right now and providing that training just in people's homes for, again, those same reasons as mentioned before. Uh, sometimes just obligations or physical ability to get out and travel are hard. So uh, we're really excited to be able to take these services to people. All right. And I don't know if this has changed or not. So correct me if it has. When I was uh, younger, where I used to ride horses was for people with physical handicaps and mm -hmm. mental handicaps and that. And there was a lady there that was totally blind and had a guide dog and she let me use the dog. And it wasn't long. It was just to one end of the parking lot and back. But typically you're not supposed to allow other people to use your guide dog. Is that correct? That is Still. correct. Yeah, not an ideal situation. Usually um, we wouldn't encourage that. That can be confusing to the guide dog sometimes. Uh, but when the clients are here on campus, if they're interested in working with a dog and it's an appropriate um, thing for us to test out and try, we have dogs in training that we can use. So they're not fully all the way through. They haven't been matched to somebody that we can provide those sample walks with. Sometimes we'll just do a, what we call a Juno walk, which is just with an empty harness. So an instructor will hold onto one end of the harness and the client will hold onto the handle and we'll kind of guide as though we're being the dog. And so we can practice those skills and give them a bit of an idea. Um, and then we also have our canine ambassador dogs. And these are dogs that were career changed for various reasons, but still had really good skills. And we kind of use them as our public relations dogs, our PR dogs. So they go to different events. Uh, we can still put them in harness to provide a sample walk to give people an idea of what it's like to travel with the guide dog. So we can use those dogs as well. So it's nice when people are here on campus. We have a lot of options to provide these experiences. Yeah. And just, just to make sure... Uh, can you specify some of the reasons why you should not let somebody else use your guide dog? I think overall, it's just can be really, you know, confusing for the dog. Also, if they, you know, a dog could get hurt if somebody doesn't know properly how to do it or to monitor the situation. 
Um, you know, when we're doing these sample walks, a guide dog mobility instructor has hold of the dog's leash and then the client just has the harness handle because that dog doesn't really know this person and they could make a mistake or somebody could get hurt or the client or person could let go of the harness. You know, there's just the, if they don't have the experience and education behind it, we wouldn't want to put that dog safety or that person's safety in jeopardy. Yeah. Um, I've, this is something I've also witnessed done two different ways. Um, the lady that I spoke about before with her lab, she did not use a cane because she had the harness in one hand and the leash in the other. Mm. Uh, the guy I went to had that class with in college, he didn't use the leash. He used a cane in his free hand and used the harness in his other. Mm is well that reaction kind of tells me that's not something no, you we, would teach somebody to do we actually do yeah it's not oh, super really? common yeah um i'm and i'm not a guide dog mobility instructor but i have been at leader dog for 10 years and so i've observed and, and had these conversations with the the professionals or the experts um, but yeah, so it's really interesting, you know, back in the day, people I'm told <laughs> would come to campus and we would take their canes away and sit, like put them in a closet and be like, you don't need this anymore. You're going to have a guide dog. You're never going to need your cane again. Well, that's really progressed. And now, you know, really we recognize the benefits of having both. And so our instructors do sometimes teach a client when appropriate to have their harness and the cane at the same time. Typically, in my experience, what I've always seen is if you have your dog with you and you're using your cane, you're not typically holding on to the harness handle. You typically are holding on to their leash um, and using your cane. Not to say that there aren't situations when you would have a harness handle and a cane in hand. I just have not seen that um, personally or I haven't heard about that as being an option with our instructors. But because the reasoning behind that is because they're both mobility devices. So you're either going to be using your cane or your guide dog as your mobility device. So if you have your cane out, most likely your guide dog is not guiding. So we don't want them to think they're responsible for anything during that time. So they would drop the harness handle and hold on to the leash instead while you use your cane in certain environments. Well, I'm not, I never spoke to Malcolm about it, but the the reasoning I can think of that just seems logical is uh, this was a junior college before university and it was set up a lot like a high school. So I'm kind of wondering if he didn't use the harness just to keep the dog closer to him. Yeah. Then what would be with the leash. So that, that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah. But, yeah, I just, I thought it was strange because like I said, the lady, she, she just used the leash and the harness. And then I saw him use the harness and the cane both. So <laughs> yeah, so times cool, really wow. have changed. Uh, we're getting super creative and we always encourage our guide dog clients to have a cane on them, like in a backpack or on their belt loop or something. Cause there are situations where that tactile information would just really come into handy or, you know, if a dog gets hurt or injured or whatever, it's nice to have that backup option. Oh, definitely. And, and I try to tell people that too, because I've, I've went out with friends before and I've gotten stranded and you always want your cane just in case. Yes, definitely. <laughs> so it wouldn't be any different with the dogs. Anything could happen. Mm-hmm. Well, is there anything else about your organization or about your training or anything that I haven't brought up or that you think is important? Yeah, um, I would like to share a little bit about our youth programs. 
So leader dog, we, you know, our main programs are our guide dog and then our orientation and mobility, but we actually also have two youth programs. So we have a teen summer camp and a youth O&M option. So the teen summer camp, it is only one week out of the year. It's usually the last week in June. And this is when teens come from all over the U.S. who are 16 and 17 years old, who are legally blind. And it's just a super fun week. It's a great opportunity for teens to meet other teens, kind of going through similar situations or experiences. We go rock wall climbing, zip lining. They get a full day with a guide dog to really understand those realistic expectations, ask questions of all of our guide dog mobility instructors, see if that's a good fit. We also talk about accessible GPS. All of our campers are going home with a free Victor Reader Track um, accessible GPS device from HumanWare. Um, they're also what's going. This, wait, what's this called again? The GPS uh, the, thing? The, the GPS is from uh, HumanWare. It's a product, it's a Victor Reader Track. And how does that work? Um, so it's a GPS device, basically that kind of like a TomTom that people would use in their cars or an app on your phone, except for it's a separate handheld device that is completely, you don't need any vision to use it or navigate it. It's all just buttons and audio cues. And you can, uh, you know, you can push a button that says, where am I? And it'll give you an estimated, like you're at uh, 203 East Walnut Boulevard kind of thing, um, an estimate of an address. You can create a route so you can search a destination or input an address and then it'll give you directions of how to get there. Um, you oh, can right. search what's around. It's a very cool device. And so we teach all of our campers how to use it and then they go home with it. It's about an $800 device, I think. And so they're all free to our campers. This year, they're also getting aftershocks or shocks, I think now, the bone conducting headphones so that they can, you know, use their G GPS device without wearing any headphones or blocking their ear canals for all of those environmental sounds. Um, we also do um, like a, a scavenger hunt and zombie apocalypse. And honestly, it's just so much fun. We have a talent show. We do all sorts of really great things. So it's a super fun week. Um, and we always have a good time. And I would encourage anybody who's going to be 16 or 17 to attend if possible. Again, completely free. So we pay for the airfare, flights in, pick them up at the airport, meals, room, all that's covered. All the, right. uh, the second option is our youth O&M option. This is a little bit different. It's still a week long and it's still for 16 and 17 year olds. But during this week, you're actually working one-on-one -on -one with an O&M specialist. So it's similar to our regular standard O&M program. In this situation, though, they actually bring a support person with them. So they would bring a parent or a close relative or somebody with them, and they all stay off campus at a hotel. We still provide all of the airfare, transportation. We provide and cover the hotel, meal expenses, all of that. Um, but it's kind of two tracks. So the parents have an opportunity to meet other parents, to learn about blindness and low vision a little bit more, go under blindfold and experience what it's like to travel with a cane, observe their student or their loved one traveling. Um, so it's kind of a more of a group program. And that happens a couple times each summer. And it's a really, really great opportunity for the kids to meet other kids parents to connect with other parents and just kind of really fully immerse themselves into orientation and mobility for a week. And I think that's something that's extremely underestimated as far as the parents getting to meet other parents and things of that nature, because where I'm at, 
there was nobody else mm-hmm. and they they had to wing it and it it just and things have changed since then but back when i was a kid they had this is what you do with the blind kid mm-hmm. and my parents tried to abide by that even though there were certain things that weren't good for me personally you know so it i think that's good that parents can meet other parents and discuss things like that yeah. have have you heard of or had any experience there's a piece of technology that i just recently heard about within the past couple of months called strap tech no i have not heard of that it's apparently something you can strap around like your chest and it its range depends on how fast you're walking hmm. and but it's supposed to alert you to curbs or stairs and stuff like that. So I, I was asking about it because I didn't know if that other GPS device you were speaking of from HumanWare was uh, similar to that or not. No, the the Victor Reader Trek is just a GPS device, so it's not providing really any mobility. Okay. Yeah, but that's interesting. No, I haven't heard of that. I'll have to look into that. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, it, sound, it sounds amazing, but... Who you know? Who knows what it's like when you? I thought about it so I could possibly run again because I think if you're just walking regular pace, it's it keeps up to like somewhere between five and ten feet what's in front of you. Mm-hmm. But supposedly, if you move faster or jogging, it's supposed to be able to extend its range out according to how fast you're moving. So I, you know. It sounds interesting, but I don't have a thousand dollars to experiment. So. Right, right. Yeah. So that's that's one of the things I love about your organization that it's free of cost to people because typically blind people don't have a lot of money. So that's yeah. so that being said, you guys do take donations. So can you tell people where they can donate? Yeah, absolutely. So Leader Dog is wonderful in the sense that we actually do receive any state or federal funding. We completely rely on philanthropic donations. We get grants. We do fundraising events. The Lions Club is a huge supporter of what we do in our mission. Um, And the best way that our organization runs is because of the community and donors believe in our mission and what we're doing and are seeing the daily impact. But the best way to donate is going to our website at leaderdog.org. There's a big donate button towards the top of the screen. And there's all sorts of different ways in which you can donate. You know, people leave estates, they do weekly giving, planned giving, um, or just like a one-time donation. Either way, um, we certainly appreciate every dollar and it goes towards our mission and our clients. And our goal is to make people unstoppable. And so we appreciate all the support we can get. Well, you guys definitely offer an amazing service in the way you do it as well. I mean, in-home service and bringing people out and just taking care of everything. So it's one less thing for somebody to have to worry about. Yeah. I mean, that's ultimately our goal. I actually just spoke with a client yesterday and was asking him about his experience so far. And he, that was one of the comments he said, which I thought was really nice is that leader dog really tries to think of everything. So it can be really stressful leaving your home and coming someplace you've never been before and staying in an environment where you don't know anybody. But Leader Dog really focuses on um, providing a comfortable and relaxing environment so that people can focus on the training and why they're there. So our kitchen does an incredible job of preparing meals and accommodating to dietary 
restrictions or food allergies so that you don't have to worry about that. The meal is served to you. So you just walk in, you sit down at your spot in the dining room, the meals brought to you when you're done, you just get up and leave. So you don't have to worry about going through a line or things like that. Um, you know, the rooms are all have everything that you would really need. It's like staying in a hotel. You've got your own bedroom, your own bathroom. We have 24 hour RAs, resident assistants there to assist with, you know, anything. If you drop medication or things like that, we have laundry facilities that are already set up with the soap that automatically dispenses it. They're completely free. You can use them at any time. Um, so we do, we really try oh, to take wow. away those stressors so that when people come, they can just focus on why they're there, which is being independent traveler, whether that be guide dog or white team. Um, so our team is, is incredible. I'm very proud to work at this organization. Yeah, I can see why. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's extremely impressive. And I'm not the kind of person to say that if I don't mean it. So. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> Uh, is there anything else that I have not thought of or covered that uh, you would like to bring up? Yeah, the only thing I would say is that, you know, we're really trying to do a lot more virtual things for people who maybe can't come to our campus or aren't quite ready and want to learn more. So, you know, leaderdog.org under the resources tab on the far right, you can find we do monthly collaboration events with different organizations or agencies or products within the blindness and low vision field to try to learn more and spread awareness to our clients and to our other agency professionals. So we do those once a month, the last Wednesday of every month at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Anyone's welcome to join. You can join those um, again at leaderdog.org. We also have a virtual learning resources page where we have a lot of great videos on guide dog readiness, if that's something people are thinking about. There's a nice video on there about what is O&M and kind of how and why do we do it at LeaderDog. There's a nice video on how do I know if I should start using a white cane, you know, you know, struggling with, um, I have some remaining vision, but I'm not quite sure. So just a great opportunity to look there. And then last thing I'll mention is that we do have a podcast. It's called Taking the Lead by Leader Dogs for the Blind. You can find it wherever you stream podcasts. And we interview clients, we share stories and experiences, we talk to team members, um, and just kind of provide realistic, real life uh, scenarios of people that are living with blindness and are, are doing life. <laughs> well, like I said before, that's, it's great that you even do a podcast where people can come and listen to these stories. And I mean, just all the things you offer is just amazing to me. So it, it, it didn't used to be that way. So Well, I appreciate the, you saying that. The only other thing I can think of is if somebody's interested, you had family members and stuff mm -hmm. that were legally blind and losing vision. And so that's what got you to decide. How would somebody go about becoming an O&M instructor or getting involved with Leader Dog or any other agency to become a guiding dog trainer? Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, the orientation mobility degree is a master's degree. I happen to go to Western Michigan University, but there are multiple schools throughout the United States that offer that program. Um, highly recommend. A lot of times, too, you can get really good funding for the program, and it's just a magnificent career if you're interested in just helping people, working one-on-one -on -one with people, and making an impact. Um, I definitely recommend. I love O&M. As far as becoming a guide dog mobility instructor, most organizations that are accredited through the International Guide Dog Federation have their own apprenticeship program. 
So Leader Dog has a three-year apprenticeship program to become a guide dog mobility instructor in which you kind of come on as a team member and in the apprentice form. And we, we teach you the job and the skills for three years. And there's, you know, tests that you have to take at level one, two, and three before becoming a guide dog mobility instructor. So but does that require an education? We usually encourage people to have a bachelor's degree, um, but not all of our guide dog mobility instructors do. And there's a wide range of bachelor's or degrees um, yeah. <laughs> that have kind of found their way to this career. Well, that's no different in the corporate life. Most people that get a marketing degree aren't in marketing. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. So. You kind of find your niche somewhere along the way. <laughs> And as far as a bachelor's degree, is there anything specific that you would suggest people do prior to the master's degree for O&M training? Or is that pretty much similar to the guide dog training any bachelor's will do? Uh, I think, you know, it depends. Some some colleges do have an undergrad uh, blindness and low vision kind of degree, but most of them it's just a master's program. Most people that I've seen have a background, like, so my uh, bachelor's degree is in speech language pathology and audiology. Um, other people had a lot of education backgrounds or special education backgrounds. Um, but honestly, I, I don't know that it's, there's anything specific. I bet if, you know, you show you that I have skills and compassion for the, the fields, we're always looking for people. righty. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to mention as well? I don't think so. If anybody's interested in learning more, you can go to leaderdog.org or you can give us a call at 888-777-5332 and we're happy to answer any questions for you. Well, I definitely appreciate your time more than you know, ma'am. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me today. Hey, thank you. All right. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.